Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, a message I call, From Whom You Have Learned, From Whom You Have Learned, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Today we celebrate Mother's Day. President Woodrow Wilson on May the 9th, 1914, set aside Mother's Day for the public expression of gratitude for the mothers of the country. And today's message, of course, will be dedicated to consideration of this great instruction for Timothy as Paul the Apostle would write to him, challenging him, asking him, to remember the things that he had learned. And, uh, of course, came that great line, knowing from whom you learned them. Timothy had been both taught and assured of the Holy Scriptures, and it's impossible for us today to overstate how important uh, the knowledge of the Word of God is to all of us. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures... In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, Simon Peter said, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, Peter had just spoken of how they had been with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. His visit was changed, and uh, they saw the light, the glory, the white raiment suddenly appeared on him. And as if that weren't enough to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory, then the heavens opened and they heard the voice of God himself saying to them, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you're standing there, Jesus Christ in white raiment and his face glowing right there in front of you. And on top of that, then you hear the voice of God from heaven. I would say that was a more sure word, wouldn't you? I mean, that's about as sure as it gets for anybody. He heard it directly from God himself. But that's where this passage comes in. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Simon Peter, you see, wants us to know that when we are reading our Bible, then we are hearing the very voice of God. God speaks to us through His Word. He spoke it very clearly to those men of old, Simon Peter says. We know that he was speaking, even as he writes that, to Simon Peter himself. Holy men spake. The Bible says, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
That's why that Paul tells Timothy then that all scriptures God breathed, literally. It's given by inspiration of God. So that the holy scriptures, the Bible, is God's revelation to us. This is what God would have us to know. Sometimes we might long to just hear from God. Open your Bible. Open your Bible. Now for you folks in the balcony, open your Bibles. And when you read your Bibles, you are in fact hearing from the Lord. That's what Simon Peter tells us. And I I try to make this point for us today uh, because there are so many circles in which the authority of Scripture is being challenged. And we expect that challenge to come from the secular crowd and the growing secular crowd in America. Uh, Much ado has been made, and rightly so, over the last couple of census figures that's been published because the most rapidly growing religious segment in America today are called the nuns. Nuns. That is, you ask, are you Christian? Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? And the most rapidly growing segment of our culture professes no faith in anything. None. None. None at all. And so in a culture of growing secularism where more and more people have decided to live their life without God at all, we expect then their leadership to reject the authority of Scripture, to reject the Bible. We expect that. One of my greatest concerns today is to see how many preachers and some of the most popular ones in America that are turning away from the authority of Scripture. And the reason that it is under under attack from the secularist and the reason why that so many preachers today are calling for the abandonment of the authority of Scripture is very simple. The Bible's not very politically correct. Uh, God said a lot of things that are at 180 degree opposite direction with the way that the culture wants to go. The culture goes this way. God says it goes this way. The culture said this is right. God says it's wrong. And so in order to broaden our appeal, there are people who they don't uh, want to question it all. Now, don't, there's not preachers standing in pulpits, as far as I know of, telling them just to throw your Bible out. It doesn't matter anymore. It's just those passages they're not comfortable with. Apparently, they haven't looked very often at what Paul told Timothy. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All. All scripture. And so we cannot overemphasize the incredible truth that Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, from a child, you have known the holy scriptures. You remember these things. You remember what you've been taught. You remember what you were assured of. I've got a couple of thoughts that I want us to glean from this this morning. And and they're very simple. And first of all, of course, is what he has learned, and, and that is the holy, the holy Scriptures. But I want you to see what Paul tells us that the Holy Scriptures do for us. And the very first thing that he tells us, of course, is that they are able to make you wise unto salvation. If God gives you a child, I can assure you, you are praying for the salvation of that child. You want to see that child saved. That child gets up and gets married. 
And God blesses them with children so that you've got a grandchild on the way. You'll be praying for that grandchild to be saved. Unfortunately, you don't inherit salvation. It's not like your genetic code. Well, mom's a Christian, dad's a Christian, so naturally then my children are going to be Christians. Oh, it's, it's not in our DNA code. You see, that child is going to have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, just like you did, just like I did. They have to make their own decision. John said it very plainly in John chapter 1, Jesus came unto his own, but his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those, what's it mean to receive him? Even to those that believe on his name. That doesn't just mean that they have some kind of vague awareness that God exists or even that they have an understanding that Jesus came and who he is and and what he has done. But there must be that time where they understand that they're a sinner. That happens only through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And in that moment then, they call upon the Lord to save them because I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. There's a difference between just believing in God and believing in Jesus and believing He came and and celebrating Christmas and being a person who has actually believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, even to those that believe on His name. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sins? All of those things are manifestations of that simple truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In some way, we have to make that assurance for ourselves. The question is, how do we pass that along to our children? (laughs) By teaching them the scriptures. That's how we do it. Why? Because, and you don't just have to take my word for it. It's right there in the text. From a child, he said, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through believing in the name of Jesus Christ. The Scriptures tell us the story of the long-awaited birth of Jesus the Messiah. Of the wise men who visited asking the question, where is he that's born the King of the Jews? The Scripture tells us the story of his virtuous life, of his time of ministry, of his service for three and a half years, of his choice of the apostles who would be with him day and night for three and a half years. They would become his witnesses because they had seen all of the wonderful things that he had done. Those apostles then would write uh, their own testament of Jesus Christ John in John chapter 20 and verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life on his name. Seven different signs John particularly identifies in this gospel. Signs that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. John had a nickname the disciple whom Jesus loved. In our way of looking at things, if Jesus had a best friend, a best buddy, closer to than anybody else, it was John. John. This guy who was with him through everything. This 
one who was so close to him was able to say, I have written this so that you might believe as I do that this man was the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, all of us have got besties, a best buddy, best friend. You might have known them, grown up with them all your life. None of them would testify that we were perfect, that we were sinless, that we were the Son of God. But yet John would make that testimony of Jesus. He wanted us to understand that he had seen him, been closer to him than anyone else. And he was absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he wrote this down so that we might believe it. The scriptures, you see, are able to make us wise into salvation. But then he goes on and he tells us that they are profitable. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is profitable. It's profitable for revelation. The word doctrine means revealed teaching. Revealed teaching. It is what God has told us about himself. If you want to know God, how do you know God? Through the Bible. Because that is God's revelation to us of himself. No one, if this is God's revelation, think about it. If this is God's revelation to us. No one then has been properly educated unless they've been educated in the Word of God. There was a time in this country when we recognized that. Harvard. Harvard. And Yale were originally Puritan colleges. Started by churches as religious institutions. Princeton was Presbyterian. Those are three of the oldest universities on this continent. All of them started by churches. Harvard was even named after a minister. Princeton University has this still as its motto, Under God She Flourishes. Of course, it's in Latin, and I couldn't pronounce it. So uh, I gave the English translation, Under God She Flourishes. No one is truly educated unless they know the Bible. You say, well, I don't know much of the Bible. Hey, this is your place. We're here for you. And I'm not talking about just what we do here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and even Wednesday night. We even have the FBI. That's for Faith Baptist Institute, Bible Institute, by the way, uh, that meets here on Monday night. You want to learn more about the Bible? We've got ample opportunities to do that. Uh, mark off a little time on your calendar. And say, Brother Rich, would you meet with me and just help me to understand the Bible better? Oh, my goodness. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. I'd love to help you. Why? Because it is God's revelation to us. It's profitable for revelation. It's profitable also for refutation. And uh, it is given not only for doctrine, but also for reproof. Uh, this is a word that's used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit as He rebukes us, convicts us. As we study the Word of God then and we see what the Word of God says for us to do, then the Holy Spirit goes to work and it convicts us of things that we're doing uh, that are not what we should be doing. 
Word of God reproves us. It also gives us restoration. There's doctrine, reproof, and correction where uh, the reproof is on the negative side showing us what's wrong. The correction gives us the positive side. It literally means to restore to an upright position. You see, when we get off track in life, we've fallen. We've, we've taken a bad step. We've taken a wrong turn. We've, we've fallen. We've got on the wrong track. But the Word of God then is able to help us get back on your feet. Maybe this morning you need to get back up on your feet. I don't know where to go or how to start. Oh, listen, let me tell you. The Word of God is profitable. If you'll put your nose in it, study it, and read it, God and the Holy Spirit will help you stand up and begin to walk in a way that's productive again. There's also regulation. This is instruction in righteousness. This has to do with discipline. And in all areas of life, there's the requirement of discipline. God created us. And so only He can give us the control for the wildness that calls to us. Give a child a color. Some of y'all call them crayons. And a, and a piece of paper with a drawing on it. And initially that child will take that crayon and see that drawing. And that drawing don't mean much to them. And the chaos of color kind of blots out whatever design might have been there at one time. The design is, just goes away. There's just chaos. Sometimes we make life look like that. You see, God is the one who shows us where the lines are. And He gives us the discipline then to stay inside the lines. Because when you stay inside of them... You're able to color something that's very beautiful and make something beautiful. So the Word of God gives us discipline. And we need it in all areas of life. And the end result that it promises us is perfection. That is completion. He makes us into something useful. Something that is good to us and, and is useful to Him. We can be complete. So what he learned was the Holy Scriptures the Holy Scriptures that make us wise unto salvation, the Holy Scriptures that are profitable to us in all of these ways. Then we get from whom He learned them. We look back in chapter 1 and verse 2, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, my dearly beloved son, then we have this, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now we were first introduced to this young champion in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. When Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and behold a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Twice we're told that. His father was Greek. 
That means that Timothy's father was not a believer. And yet Paul would speak of Timothy as my dearly beloved son. And obviously Paul had taken Timothy under his wings and taught him the word of God and taught him how to serve and how to live. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But for now we consider his first teachers and we're not left to wonder who they are. Uh, Grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois. Counting Timothy, that makes three generations in this family. A grandmother, a mother, and now a child. Who all have been taught the scriptures. Who all are living for God and devoted to Jesus Christ. I wish this morning that I could stand here and promise every one of you that if you could put three links in a chain together that way, it would always stay together. If you've got a grandmother that you can look back on who was a godly woman and a, and a mother then and, and then a child, that it would always work out that that child would be raised up to be another Timothy. But you know and I know, we see it all the time, that that chain does not always remain unbroken. After all, people have to make their own decisions and sometimes they yield themselves to the influence of the world. We even have to wonder in Timothy's own situation exactly what had happened with his mother Lois and why she would have ended up marrying an unbelieving man the way that she did. Dedicated to God, knowing the scriptures and yet married an unbeliever. Not sure what happened or how that all played out. But here's Timothy being raised in this mixed family. We don't know how much that Lois must have longed to have had a believing husband. We can only think about how many things that were left out of her life because she and her husband could not share their faith. And what a critical thing that is for marriage to be able to share that most important of all relationships, that is their relationship with the living God. But Lois didn't have that. But in spite of whatever had happened and in spite of the fact that her husband was an unbeliever, yet Timothy found, was found as a young man dedicated to Jesus Christ, living for him, knowing the Holy Scriptures because his grandmother and his mother had teamed up to teach him the Word of God. Let me tell you something, young people. If you can look back at your heritage right now and see a godly mother love Jesus and a godly grandmother that loved Jesus, thank God for it. Say amen and thank the Lord and praise God that you have that kind of heritage. I've had it. I've experienced it. And I know what it's like to be taught the Scriptures by your mother and by your grandmother. Fathers are designed to have leadership in the home, and they do. But mothers have throughout all time given themselves to the nurturing of their children, and especially in their teaching of them, the scriptures. That kind of teaching will follow the classic pattern of explanation, application, and perhaps most important of all, of repetition. Repetition. That is, folk, that we cannot simply say that, well, we've taught this one time and we're done. 
we've taught this, and well, I've taught them that already. <laughs> no, any parent knows this, any teacher knows this, that, that there's three keys to learning, and that is repetition, repetition, and repetition. You have to teach it again and again and again and again and again. And over those precious years that you have with your children at home, then you're able to reinforce that time and time again with instruction as we teach it, uh, with application as we don't just leave the Word of God in some theoretical realm, but we show them how it actually applies to their real-life situations and then to go from there. Not only the application, but also to the repetition. Say it again and again. Paul would say to Timothy that he had been assured of these things, not just taught them. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You know, that word assured is only found one other place. And it's really not found in the New Testament. It was found in the Old Testament. It was found in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And there it was translated, Amen. Uh, assured. I think its use in this passage gives us a, a great idea about what Paul is calling Timothy to, what had happened in his life, and what he's calling all of us to do. Assured of. You see, when, when there's a godly example, when the scripture is lived out then in front of our children, that gives a loud amen. This wasn't just something that Lois and Eunice taught them. It wasn't just something that Paul taught. But it was something that they lived out. And when what we are teaching our children is, is then found in, in our actual lifestyle, then that gives them assurance. This is real. Notice his faith was, their faith was called unfeigned. That means unfaked, without hypocrisy. Their faith was not something they put on with their clothes on Sunday morning when they went to church and took off when they took their uh, Sunday morning clothes off. It wasn't that way. Their faith was real. And the fact is, we all know it. You can fool your kids for a while, but after they get up older, they see the way things really are. And when our lifestyle matches what we're teaching, that gives a loud amen to the authority of Scripture. It drives it home in their life. But this is not just something we talk about. It's real. Unfeigned faith produces unfeigned I'm not trying to tell you this morning that Lois and Eunice were sinless because obviously they were not. If we had to be sinless in order to be effective parents, none of us would qualify. But unfeigned faith means that our faith is real. That means when we mess up as parents, we face it square. Sometimes we may have to apologize to our kids. I'm sorry, I didn't do what I should have done. Dad made a mistake. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. You can do that. We do it to one another. We can do it to our kids too. You see, when, when we sin and, and, and we fail, to, we fall short of the glory of God. We, we hold up a standard to our children and then we don't meet it ourselves. It's tough. It's tough when you got your kids in the car and the popo pulls you over. 
tough. Been there. Now, it's not tough on the kids. They love it. <laughs> Get off with a warning. It don't matter because they're going to tell everybody. Tell them, I'm sorry. When you got your kids around, you start paying a lot more attention to obeying the laws, even the letters of the law, because you want them to obey the law, right? How many of us preach to our kids, don't speed, don't break up? We don't want them thinking that's okay. So we live that out ourselves. When our lifestyle, that's a simple example, we could have hundreds more, okay? When our lifestyle matches up with what we teach, that gives a loud amen. Timothy was not just taught these things, but he was assured of them because he saw it lived out. And last but not least, of course, there was Paul's role. We talked about that for just a moment. And in my thinking, you know, Paul represented the more, uh, 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 more official side, if you will, of things. Because Paul was a pastor, he was an apostle, a church planter. When he came to town, he wasn't just there on a visit for Lystra and Derby. He was there to plant a church. And by involving Timothy in the way that he did, he was bringing Timothy. And we know historically, looking back on it, that he brought Timothy along with him and trained him in pastoral ministry. And so this morning when we think about training up our children and teaching them the Word of God, it's not just about the church and it's not just about home. It's about both. And in this world, our kids need a whole lot of both. They need Bible training in church. They need Bible training at home as well. Train it to them. Teach them. Show it to them. Repeat. Teach them. Show it to them. Repeat. Teach them. Show it to them. Repeat. From child, you've learned the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation, and they are profitable. May God help us to follow the example of the Apostle Paul in teaching others and of Lois and Eunice in teaching Timothy. Let's stand together.